the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, since we are justified, we are acquitted, declared righteous, and given a right standing with God through faith, let us grasp the fact that we have peace, the peace of reconciliation to hold and to enjoy, peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Through Him also, we have our access, entrance, introduction by faith into this grace, state of God's favor, in which we firmly and safely stand. And let us rejoice and exult in our hope of experiencing and enjoying the glory of God. Moreover, let us be full of joy now. Let us exult and triumph in our troubles and rejoice in our suffering, knowing that pressure and affliction and hardship produce patient and unswerving endurance. Last week we said that everything that Paul is introducing to us here, particularly in these first two or three verses, is based on our new relationship with Christ. It's based on who we are as new creations. It's based on the new covenant and the new identity that you have in Christ. It's not creating something. He's speaking to believers and he's literally saying, this is who you are. This is your relationship with God. You are firmly standing in the grace of God. You are firmly fixed in the grace of God. And I said... I want us to understand, this is a word we've been using quite a bit. This is our context for living. This is how we should approach life. This is how we should see life. In the context of our relationship with the Lord. If we see it in the context of our flesh, we misinterpret our God, don't we? We see the bad things as God cursing us. The things that we call bad, and we see the things that we call good, is God blessing us. Well, if that's the standard, we can't say Paul was very blessed, can we? We can't even say that Jesus was very blessed in his walk upon the earth. That cannot be the standard, as God speaks of blessing and cursing. 
No, this context changes our perspective and how we see life. In Christ we are justified, declared righteous, and at peace with Him. We are firmly and safely standing in the grace of God. And Paul says, let us firmly grasp this fact. We are in Him. Firmly grasp it. So, again, as we said last week, there's a choice involved in there. And you're going to hear Paul say this over and over again. He is saying, get hold of this and hold it firmly. Why? Why would he make such a statement? Because in the process of living, in the day-to-day, in the moment-by-moment, we're easily distracted into thinking that this flesh, this human existence is the be-all, end-all of life. That life and death is just what we experience in this body. And God says, no, I've taken you completely out of that context. You're no longer a mortal being that was born on this date and dies on that day. That's true of your body, but it's not true of you. You have now been born again in Christ. That means your birth date doesn't even begin. It's eternal. It has no beginning. You are born in Christ. And it has no end. There's no end. What's neat about this is that you cannot carry the baggage of the flesh into the relationship that you have with Him. All of the things that you think are handicapping you by where you were born and how you were born and the circumstances of your birth don't even apply because your birth is now recorded in Christ, which has no beginning. And all of the things that you think in your past are literally keeping Him from receiving you, are accepting you fully, are allowing you to live to the fullness of what He created you for. Those things no longer have any impact on who you are. Because your history is in Christ and you are eternal. You see, God in His great mercy and love for us, not only took care of who we are at our present time and in our present need, He took care of us and brought us out of the context of mortality and put us in the context of eternity and said, there is no beginning and there is no end to you because you are now mine. You've been mine from the beginning, as God says, calls the beginning for our reference point, and you are mine forever. Let us firmly grasp this fact. We are in Him. And you know, that's really a matter of focus. Let me ask you a question. We're getting to verse 3 that talks about suffering, right? And the truth of the matter is, unless you grasp verse 1 and 2 about who you are in Christ, unless you have a firm hold on that, then verse 3 about suffering is not going to make a lick of sense to you. It's going to sound like sheer lunacy. Because Paul is asking us to rejoice in it. And frankly, how many of us do? As we see it. But if we understand verse 1 and 2, and we live in the context of that relationship, verse 3 begins to make sense. Now, if we're not living in that context, that relationship... On a moment-by-moment or daily basis, if we're not walking in that, then suffering has a different effect on us. What is the first thing we do when we begin to suffer? We cry out to the Lord, right? And what is it we ask for? Mercy and grace, right? Those are our two top 
on the list. Mercy and grace. Of course, deliverance is right up there too, but mercy and grace kind of encapsulate that. Mercy and grace, Lord. Now, here's where it stands. If we have firmly grasped the facts of verses 1 and 2, then we should know that we never need to beg God for mercy and grace. We're living in it. That's what verse 1 and 2 is telling you. You are literally living in and by His grace and His mercy. It's a given. We should know for a fact that whatever we encounter in this life as a child of God, we do so in His grace and in His mercy. Now, if we talk about Ephesians 2.10 and Romans 8.28 a lot, right? Well, if we understand those two verses, if we read them and see what God is telling us in it, it tells us that our lives have been predestined to manifest the grace and mercy of God. He chose paths that we walk. This is in Ephesians 2.10. He chose paths that we will walk, that we might enter into the good works of God. And in Romans 8.28, He is causing all things to work together for the good of us as His children. Now, if that's not living in the grace and mercy of God, what is it? Grace and mercy doesn't begin with the problem. Grace and mercy is the place where you live. It is the truth of who you are. You are standing firmly in His grace and in His mercy. He is causing it all to work together for good. And He has preordained us for the demonstration of His grace and His mercy. That means that our lives literally show forth, demonstrate, give a picture of His grace and mercy. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 5 and 6 says, For He foreordained us, destined us, planned in love for us to be adopted, revealed as His own children through Jesus Christ in accordance with the purpose of His will, because it pleased Him and was His kind intent, so that we might be to the praise and the commendation of His glorious grace, favor, and mercy, which He so freely bestowed on us in the Beloved. Now, in case you've missed it, I know I've said it, but in case you've missed it, the grace and the mercy of God is revealed in Jesus Christ. That's where the grace and mercy is revealed. And if you are a child of God, He is your life. The revelation of God's grace and mercy is literally your life. Do you see how all that comes together? Now, as I said before, verse 3 sounds like lunacy unless you firmly grasp verse 1 and 2. When we live in the flesh, our Christianity becomes man-centered. It becomes about the blessings of the world. We define blessing the way the world does. We define cursing the way the world does. If we live in the context of Christ as our life, then we know that Christ is the blessing. He is the blessing. And the absence of Christ is the curse. So when we talk about the blessing, you can put anything out there you want to. Marriage is a blessing, not without Jesus. It's a curse. Children are a blessing, not without Jesus. You know? I don't care what you put up there. You can call it a blessing. Nature itself is not a blessing apart from Christ. 
Because why was everything created? What was the purpose of the function of man? What was the purpose of the ordinances that God laid out for man? In everything that God laid out in, the, in our living and in our experience, in everything, the sole purpose was that we might see the Father and the Son. That we might see His character and His love and His life. That was the purpose of it. So, if we embrace nature without Jesus, we have literally lost the purpose of nature. And if we embrace marriage without Jesus, we've lost the purpose of marriage. Do you see? So many people, and, and you know what? I had a person tell me one time, and I understand where she was coming from. I mentioned this the other night. She told me, she says, you know, I believed that, that HEB has been blessed to the degree they have because they went so many years without serving any alcohol. I believe that's why they were blessed. And I said, okay, that sounds good. But why is God blessing Hugh Hefner, the owner of Playboy magazine? You see, if we use the definition for blessing as material wealth, then who is blessed? Who holds the majority of the wealth of this world? Well, I tell you, it's not the Christians. <laughs> right? You see, the truth of the matter is that money as it is given of God and used and accepted through Christ, is a blessing. Money, as it is given of the world and used and accepted as a means to empower yourself, is a curse. That's the truth of it. And if you don't believe me, look around. In most cases, prosperity has destroyed every nation it's touched. And you know what? I don't think our nation is going to be any exception. Why? Because prosperity is not necessarily the blessing of God. Prosperity apart from God is a curse. Go back and read the Old Testament. Look at Israel. When did they fall away? If we live in that context of Christ, then we know that Jesus is the blessing that our relationship with Him becomes the context for life. So I look at what comes my way. I look at the things that, are, that come into my life. And I do not make proclamations as to whether they are blessing and cursing. I look at them for what they reveal about Christ. My life in Christ. Even the very worst of things can be a blessing. How many of us would say that crucifixion was a blessing? Well, I want to tell you something. If you're a child of God, you're standing in that blessing today because it was the work of God. Christ is plainly revealed in weakness and suffering. Every one of us can testify to that. If we're a child of God, we've seen Christ revealed in those things. A fact that every child of God can give testimony to. And Paul does this in a verse that we read here many times. I'm going to reread it for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Paul speaking, he says, But he said to me, My grace, my favor, and loving kindness and mercy is enough for you, sufficient against any danger, and enables you to bear the trouble manfully. For my strength and power are made perfect, fulfilled and completed, and show themselves most effective in your weakness. Then Paul says, Therefore, 
I will all the more gladly glory in my weaknesses and infirmities, that the strength and power of Christ the Messiah may rest, yes, may pitch a tent over and dwell upon me. Well, notice that God doesn't say, Paul, you need my grace here. He says, my grace is, present tense, enough for you. In other words, Paul, you have all that you need. That's what he's telling him. You have all that you need. What you have in the life of Christ shows itself, proves itself in your weakness. So Paul says, oh, I see. My weakness, my dependence, is a revealer of your strength in me. I want to live in that revelation so that the truth of your life within may be consistently revealed in my living. That's what Paul says. Because for Paul, the blessing is not the removal of that weakness. He sees it now. The blessing is not the deliverance from that weakness. The blessing is the presence, the life, and the attendance of Christ in the midst of that weakness. Now, if that is the case, then look at your life at this point. As you look across all of the things that are affecting your life right now, I know that you have labeled some cursing and some blessing, some strength and some weakness. I want to tell you for the child of God, all things work together for good. You cannot make those judgments. You don't need to make those judgments. You need to render, yield your very being unto Christ and let Him define for you through His very life what is blessing and let His Spirit separate you from what is cursing because anything that divides your focus from Jesus becomes a curse. That's the truth of it. We recognize His strength in our weakness. The lie that I want you to see here, that I pray the Holy Spirit will literally expose for you in in your perception of these verses, is the false idea that God dispenses His grace, His mercy, His strength to the Christian only when He deems it is warranted and rightly earned and appreciated or when your prayers are sincere enough or penitent enough or when you have enough people praying or when the prayer warriors are work or when you've put in enough prayer requests on the party line. It's not then. That's a lie. You live in union with the Spirit of God. Christ is your life. You abide in the vine. You abide in His strength, His grace, His mercy all the time. Who He is and the attributes of who He is is ever present in you. It is ever present in you. Now what does that mean? That means I don't enter into anything apart from God's grace and God's mercy and God's strength and God's presence. I don't. I can't. Because I'm in union with Him. What is it that you're most fearful of? What is it that vexes your mind or your soul? If you're a child of God, know this. One of the greatest treasures of being a child of God is that you're never alone. 
You're never separated from Him. I don't care what you do. I don't care how bad you are. If anybody could separate himself from God, I would have gotten it done. It doesn't work. Because His love is greater than our failures. And you know what? It's even bigger than that. Because that kind of distorts the truth of it. His love has literally made you perfect, acceptable, righteous, holy, pure in His sight, in His reckoning. And who has a truer reckoning than God? Because He has recreated you to receive all of those things and to walk in His purity, the purity of the Son of God. And you know what the truth is? Scripture tells you this, that you're as acceptable before God as the Son of God. Oh, really? That's right. In order to reject you, He would have to reject Christ. Because of Christ's life that you carry. Can that be put any stronger? If Jesus literally gave His life to you, and literally you were resurrected with Him, whose life do you carry? Christ's life. Now what would God have to do to reject you? He would have to separate Himself from Christ's life. He's not going to do that. Now I'm not talking about your behavior. Your behavior is another issue entirely. As many of you are aware, we do not suffer without cause. We rejoice in suffering because we do not suffer without cause or without purpose. As we suffer, we behold the revelation of Christ as our life. The strength of Christ as the strength of our life. Now here's the thing. Nobody looks forward to suffering. I know that there, it's in, in the minds of the Western civilization, you know, there's great piety attached to great suffering. But that's not the truth of it. The child of God enters into suffering as he enters into all things of life, reckoning upon the guidance, the presence, the strength, the grace, and the mercy of his Savior in each step. And what am I telling you? I am telling you that you need all that Jesus is just as much to sit in that pew as you would in great times of persecution, trial, and difficulty. You know what the difference is? In suffering, you have no distractions. As a child of God, in suffering, you will turn your eyes to Him and affix them upon Him. This morning I was doing some work at my desk and I got an idea I needed to get up and do something. I got up, but I'm thinking about my notes and as I'm walking across the room, I decided to try to take out a chair with my little toe. And the chair won. Now listen, at that point... I didn't say, well, you know, I could have made this point in my notes. I could have changed this. I wasn't even thinking about my notes. In fact, I'm not even sure I remember why I got up out of the chair. All I was thinking about was my little toe. I was focused. I was completely focused. Suffering does that. And if you're a child of God... That focus should be directly to the throne, directly to the life within, directly to Christ. Well, here is the truth of it. Paul recognizes that in suffering, he has a singular focus upon Christ. And the revelation of Christ is the blessing that he embraces and says, Oh, I see this. 
in my weakness, in my difficulty, I see with clarity the truth of my life. So, hey, kind of like Peter said when he saw Moses, Elijah, and Jesus on the mountain. He says, Lord, let's just build a tabernacle up here. We got it going on. Paul says, let's build a tabernacle in the midst of my suffering where I can live in the revelation of Christ because the reward of that revelation is so much greater than the pain and the suffering that I'm enduring. So much better. So much more glorious. I can't compare it. If you read his writings, he says, you can't compare it. We do not delight in suffering for suffering's sake. We delight in the revelation of Christ. And as I said last week, suffering should never be an interruption to life if we define it correctly. Because life is not what we live in the body. Suffering is what we experience in the body. But life is not what we live in the body. So suffering should never be an interruption of life. It should never ever indicate to us a change in our relationship with God. That's a lie. And you know what? For years I thought that. I thought if I didn't do this or that or this or that, that I would somehow suffer in my relationship with the Lord. That I would lose ground with Him. That I would somehow be separated from Him. That just doesn't happen. There is no separation. You know what hurt? When I didn't follow in truth, when I wasn't seeking after Him and obedient in what I knew was literally good for my relationship with Him, what got hurt was me. Not God's judgment on me, but separation that I caused. That I walked away. Thank you for joining Pastor Todd Granger for His Life Revealed, the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We hope today's message has encouraged you to yield to His life in every situation. Rest in His life moment by moment and receive from His life all that you need to show Christ in this world. If you'd like to know more, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. And you're invited to join us for worship services on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 7015 Wurzbach Road. If you would like to help support this ministry, send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006. And finally, this coming week, our hope is that the image of the invisible God would be visible in you. And remember, wherever you go, whatever you do, the hope of glory is Christ in you. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.